All right, so we're picking up on the third chapter of this book and the third part, which is on beauty. We've been going through a Lutheran approach to outreach. How do Lutherans consider outreach? How, are we, how we ought to do it as opposed to how we have done it and talked about it. Uh, and that the main thing of the church growth movement has been a lot of anxiety and fear and insecurity. And as Lutherans, we're not, uh, we won't engage in that, right? Uh, we're not about making people anxious and nervous and, um, and these sort of things. Rather, we stand firm on God's word, like Psalm 46 says, we're at leisure. We are be at peace and know that God, uh, and, and know that he is God. So with that being said, we've been talking about kind of the first circle here with uh, the approach to, out- to outreach, and it is with the church, which is, seems counterintuitive. It seems backwards, but this is, in fact, the right way to do it. So we're talking about the church, and the first thing we talked about the church was faithfulness. So we said the, the most important thing is that you have to have a congregation, a church, a gathering of people that's faithful to the word. What's the point in doing outreach if you bring them to a place that's unfaithful to the word? So you have to make sure that it is faithful in, in uh, the, the preaching, in the teaching, in the, in the doctrine, in the liturgy, in the hymns, so on and so forth. So that's the first thing, and we talked about it last week, how to secure that. Uh, the second thing, though, today is beauty. The second thing is beauty. And then we'll talk about the third one next, or in two weeks, which is on hospitality. But us, the, the next thing here, on beauty itself, meaning um, making the church a beautiful place. And we'll talk about that as well. So I, I want to begin this by saying and affirming that the only way the church grows is through the word. That is the only way the church grows. Faithfulness to the word is the only way a church will actually grow. You can fill a bunch of pew seats and a bunch of uh, the whole building with people, uh, but what good is it if there's a lot of people and there's no word, right? Or that the word is, is confused or contradicted or something. So we say the, the main thing is going to be faithfulness to the word. So that's, gonna, that's what's going to cause the church to grow. However, the secondary thing, beauty, helps. Uh, not in the fact that it makes the word more efficacious, but that it removes distractions from the word. Okay? Uh, actually, consider where we are right now. Uh, how easy is it to look around and get distracted by things? A lot. It's very easy. There's that desk. Somebody's got to clean it. That's worse than mine. Uh, at home. <laughs> uh, but but you, you see all these things and they're distractions. Also, you look at the walls and they're plain. They're white. Right? Uh, there, there's no, um, really no beauty in here. There, there really isn't, if we're going to be honest. Uh, so, what would beauty do? It would remove the distraction and it would call your attention to the Word. It would call your attention to think of the things of God. 
when I see those bouncy balls back there, I think of dodgeball or something, um, <laughs> or cones. And so, the, so there's no neutral, right? You have to realize there's no neutral. You can't get away from something calling your attention to something. Well, then we take those things that are neutral, and then we make them beautiful. And the way we make them beautiful is by making them teach about God. And we'll talk about that. Okay, so the only way the church grows, though, is through the word. Acts chapter 2, verse 47 says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now look at that. The, the Lord was the one adding to the growth of the church. Why did the church grow? The Lord made it grow. He added to their numbers. Acts twelve twenty four says, <coughs> But the word of God increased and multiplied. So what's growing the church? It's the word of God. And what's multiplying the congregation? It's the word of God. Acts 6, 7. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So it's not talking about the personality of the apostles, how they sold it. It's just the word that was preached. That was it. That was sufficient. So the, what efficacy means, efficacy means that God's word is, has the ability to accomplish the purpose for which he sends it, no matter the obstacle or the circumstance. So he sends his word. It is efficacious. It will do what he has sent it to do, period. Um, Now, I want to talk about this next point, beauty and the word. There is a difference between the divine service being held in a beautiful sanctuary and the divine service being held in a sports bar, right? Right? Uh, <laughs> um, I, I don't advise uh, for that. I don't think that's a good idea. Uh, there's a difference, though. And one is built for what reason? For what purpose? For drinks, for bars, to have a good time. It's, it's made to be social. And the church is built for a reason. There's, the architecture itself lends to w- what the purpose of the facility is. Uh, The the difference, then again, is not the efficacy of the word. God's word is still efficacious even in a sewer, Uh, even in a sports bar. Yes, God's word is going to be efficacious. It's still going to work there. That's true. But, actually, have you seen uh, Jurassic Park, the first one? The good one, I mean. Uh, (laughs) The only good one. Um, So Jurassic Park, uh, what, what does he say? The... I forget his name now. I'm blanking. But he says, um, they're cloning the dinosaurs. And then uh, one of the characters says, well, you guys have been so concerned uh, busying yourself with whether you could do something that you didn't stop to think whether you should do it. Right? So this is the same thing. Could the word of God be preached in a, in, in a sports bar? Yeah. Yeah, of course. And is it still God's word? Yes, of course. Should we do that? I mean... If we have no other options, yeah, then that's what we're going to take. But if we have the option to have something beautiful, should we take that opportunity? A- absolutely. Yeah. Ben Michael Crichton was more or less a conservative who wrote the book Jurassic Park. And uh, he just blew up all of the uh, uh, corporate greed and uh, the presumptions of liberalism and that sort of thing. And just in a matter of fact, Really? Yeah, I, di- I didn't know that. Yeah, he, he wrote the, the book and then it was turned into a bunch of other movies. Too. Really? Okay. Oh, that's cool to know. 
Um, so, so yeah, just because we can do something doesn't mean we necessarily should. Uh, so, so an application here, can we throw away the cross and the crucifix? Yeah, we can. Should we? No. Um, can we build a simple four-walled, plain, yellow building? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can. Should we? We should put a little more thought into that. Do we need a pulpit? We don't need one, right? Uh, where's the law? Where, where, where in the scriptures does it say that? Do we need a, a lectern? Do we need the cross? Do we need the altar? Then you can get rid of everything. If you take the, the mindset of, or the mentality of, well, what's permissible? What's allowable? Paul says this. He says, all things are permissible, but not everything is beneficial. So, yeah, you can, sure. But should you? Uh, is that a good idea? What, what are you getting rid of? And what are you saying by getting rid of those things? If we get rid of the pulpit, what are we actually saying in that? Now, there, there's reason for this. There's, we could go on and on about church furniture, architecture, liturgical furniture, furnishings, um, all of these things. There's reason behind it. Uh, the, the lectern, why it's there and why it has that symbol, why we have the crucifix. Why we have and I've done this in the past where I've, I've gone through these things. There's not much we can say in this building or that I could say in this building because this was, wasn't really intended to be the sanctuary. Uh, the sanctuary is always intended to be there. And this was a multi-purpose room. So, so it, that's what this looks like. Um, but when we get into the new church, then you're going to see a lot of artwork, a lot of design in the architecture that's going to tell you something about what we do there. E- even the shape of the foundation of the church is what? A cross. It's, it's built in at the shape of a cross. This is beautiful. Just that alone. <clears throat> We had the, the opportunity to do it. We did it. Uh, the, the wooden trusses, uh, the floor, the materials that we use, the lights, everything. There's thought that's put into it. And this is supporting that beauty. So this is coming at a really good time that we ought to consider what is beautiful. And there, once we get into the church, I'll tell you about these things. One thing, real quick, uh, the baptismal font. The baptismal fonts are usually created with eight sides, right? Do we have to have eight sides? No. Can we have uh, a triangle? Sure. Can we have a, an oval? Sure. But we, the church historically has chosen the artwork of an octagon for a baptismal font, which is what we'll see in the new church too. And usually that font was front and center. Boom. You don't roll it off to a closet. You put it here and you remember it over and over again, every single time you come. Well, eight sides, why eight? Well, uh, the reason is because of the eighth day. Uh, so there's seven days in a week. The eighth day is the first day of the next week, right? So if you, if you count eight days from here, it's the, it's the first day of the, the, the next week. Uh, the children in the Old Testament were uh, circumcised on the eighth day. That's one reason. Also, God created the world in six days. He rested on the seventh. And then we talk about this as the eighth day, the new creation. Christ resurrected on the eighth, or he, he resurrected on the eighth day, which is the first day of the next week. So we've used this, uh, this shape to confess something. So we have an octagon for a reason. It's not just we like the shape. Yeah. So, um, so 
That's, a, that's another one, yeah. So, so when you look through the scriptures and you find the, the number eight throughout the, the, the scriptures, it's all over. Yes, First uh, Peter 3, um, uh, that the, the ark saved uh, eight, Noah and his family, eight people in all. What? Well, this is eight people being saved by water are what you said, the eighth day. So, uh, yeah. it doesn't make any difference. Yeah, well, exactly. So we, we have to realize that since we created it, this is an invention of man. We, we chose this. Uh, we ascribe the meaning to it, right? So it was um, then ascribed those meanings throughout church history. Now, Kind of like the, the vestments and these sort of things. Those were regular clothing at first, right? And then the meaning came later. We just used it and we said, well, this is beautiful. And then we'll attach the meaning. So this is, this is where we get this from. So we can't say it's directly this and only this or that and only that. It, it's really everything uh, that we see in the scriptures this way. Um, so... So this is the point. We, we've put thought into the service itself and why we have the service and why we have these liturgical things. Um, so l- let me summarize this. <clears throat> Deliberately building a pragmatic facility doesn't make people extol the Word of God more. Um, it teaches people to uh, despise it if anything, or to be, um, uh, to, to see something off and jarring. I think you kind of noticed that and picked that up here. The liturgy that we have is the full liturgy. It's the full divine service, and it's beautiful. It's very ornate in the service. There's a gradual, there's the alleluia, there's the, the, the certain directions, and the music is beautiful. But doesn't it seem off in here? <laughs> right? It, it seems a little off. It, it doesn't seem to fit. It seems kind of like, uh, it's almost like um, uh, wearing a prom dress and then going to McDonald's, right? <laughs> and wearing a tuxedo and then, then eating at McDonald's. Like, there, there's just something off. The, the, the ambience doesn't match the intention and what's going on here. So anyway, what I'm saying is that this is a good thing. Finally, we're going to have a building that matches the reverence of what we're doing in it. Um, we, we, we choose silver and gold precisely because it's valuable. And uh, it's a confession that we're making. So we use this beauty also in speech. Not just in things, but in speech. The sermon could be a list of bullet points. It could be. I could just sit here and say, this is when it was written, this is who Jesus said it to, this is the text itself, have a nice day. And that would be really easy and, and uh, simple. But we use, um, also the, the sermon could be disjointed and random even, but we don't preach that way. Uh, we say, shouldn't the pastor put in effort and uh, use beautiful words and clear language, and turn of phrases, and good analogies to teach what the scriptures say? Yeah. Yeah, so if, if we don't expect that from the sermon, if, if, you don't, if you're saying, I'm expecting the pastor to come up here and talk coherently, 
to say something about the text and put it together in a way that I can understand and say it in a beautiful way and, and have a climax in the sermon and build up and all of these things. I want to see that resolved. I, I, if you're expecting that, and you should, because that's what good preaching is, um, when it's faithful to the Word of God, then we should also expect that of the other things in the church. Um, the, the same thing, poetry. Uh, hymns can be written to not rhyme, right? We could have a book full of just prose, of just, <laughs> just a bunch of sentences that are true. We could do that. But what, we're rhyming in the hymns because it's beautiful. It's beautiful to your ear when you hear the, the pattern and the, 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 the emphasis and the rhythm and the rhyming in it. It's, it's a beautiful thing. So we've done that. We don't have to sing um, hymns in this way or the exact ones we have. But we have. And we're using beautiful, the, the best language we can to write some of these things. Um, a little later, I'll show you, if we have time, I'll show you some really beautiful hymns. Just kind of the, the words themselves. It's, it's amazing. Um, uh, actually, I think... I was talking to Steve years ago, and I don't know, somehow it got into the conversation. I don't, I don't remember if you said it or I said it, but um, it was something that, based on Lutheran hymns alone, uh, everyone should be Lutheran. Like, every, <laughs> like, it's the best theology. Did I say that? Okay. It sounds like something I would say, but... Uh, um, <laughs> But yeah, so, so that if, if you just take the hymns, if you say, well, give me a Roman Catholic hymnal and give me the Lutheran hymnal, give me your best top 10 hymns, boom, let's compare them. The Lutheran's going to blow it out. Just not even listening to the music, it's going to blow it out of the water every single time. The best Lutheran hymns are the best hymns in the world ever written. You're not going to find anything better. Um, <clears throat> Okay, so we, we use this in speech, we use this in poetry, we also use this in architecture. Uh, we build them to be awe-inspiring, uh, to draw the eye up, to point to something. If you exit today, you'll see the building, you see all the windows are pointed upward. Everything's, everything is calling your attention to go up, up, up. Um, the, the building itself is a big arrow pointing to the skies. Um, okay, so with that being said, we, we draw this distinction between pragmatism and beauty. And a lot of the things today in modern art and modern architecture and everything is about pragmatism. Um, ceiling tiles are objectively ugly. <laughs> they're, they're bad. It's, it's, it's badly designed. But are they uh, pragmatic? Do they serve a purpose? Yeah. Yeah, they do. But they're not pretty, right? Um, they... they, they so we, we, we have to make this distinction and say there are things that are objectively beautiful. We're Christians. We believe in absolute truth. We also believe in absolute uh, and universal beauty. There is um, uh, design, and it's, it's beautiful. Um, the, the world, though, has lost this understanding of it. Uh, but the point is that God cares about beauty. His creation is beautiful. Um, and since his creation is beautiful and he puts time into it, uh, we ought to do the same. And not everybody can build a building like we can. This is a, a great and glorious blessing from God. Uh, this shouldn't even be happening. Uh, and yet, God is allowing it. He has granted it to us out of his pure mercy. It's amazing. It's amazing. So, um, 
but not everybody can do that. So what do you do? Well, you, you, whatever space that God has given you, you make it um, aesthetically reverent. You make it look like what's going on there. And, and, and you make it match what's happening. Yeah. What did Martin Luther think and what do you think of the very elaborate, as long as there are sound theologically uh, Catholic churches and like Notre Dame Cathedral and some of the really ornate ones where there's gold leaf and there's mosaics on the ceiling and there's statues of all the saints and that sort of thing. Uh, where did Martin Luther draw the line and where would you as far as well, there's Mary, and we might want to go over there and pray to her, but as opposed to, well, we should think about Mary and how God was gracious to her and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's a good question. There was a group of people called the Iconoclasts <clears throat> who heard some of what Luther said and ran away with it and went crazy. And they started to... Um, to break all of the stained glass windows, uh, break off the faces, chip them off of the, the statues, and they started to do all these things. They started to get rid of the crucifix, and they're saying, it's all idolatry, it's all wrong, we got to get rid of it all, and we need just plain, just the word itself. And that was not Luther's view at all. Uh, Luther viewed that these things are helpful, and they're helpful specifically in teaching. Why was there so much art? Well, because nobody could read. But, but if you have a picture of the nativity in stained glass, you can show your kid, hey, look, that little baby, that's Jesus. He's the savior of the world. And that's, that's uh, Simeon, and he's holding the baby. That's his mother, Mary. And she, she, uh, she was a virgin when she gave birth to him. So, and you could just use that picture and teach from it. And that's a very, very good teaching tool. And Luther knew this. So... Uh, he rejected <clears throat> the iconoclasts who went around doing this. In fact, if you go to England today, <clears throat> you can see the, the, pro yeah, the problems with a lot of the churches, um, their, their buildings. You, you can still see it to this day. Their, their, their heads are cut off and the statues are broken and these sort of things because of that, that movement. And that's, again, this mentality of Okay, well, if we don't need it, let's get rid of it. Well, you don't need stained glass. You don't need it. But if you can have it, should, should you? Yeah, I think that's a beautiful thing. Can you teach through it? Yes. Um, so this is, this is the point. It's a fine line. I, I understand that. But we use this to point to and teach to things. Uh, by the way, what is the most beautiful piece of artwork that you'll ever see? No? Yeah, who said that? Yes, yes, that is the most beautiful piece of art you'll ever see. Uh, the crucifix. Je Jesus on the cross. That is the most beautiful thing you'll ever see. <laughs> well, regardless of the artist, <laughs> right? Re regardless of who makes it. Uh, presumably, they're, they're Christian. Regardless of it's, if it's good or not, objectively good. Why? Why is that the most beautiful thing you're going to see? Yeah, yeah, it's true. And it's, it's the most beautiful. You heard the sermon. You heard the text. That is gorgeous. That is, the prodigal son is one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard in my life. I like the uh, uh, not the Virgin Mary by this point, but Mary can hold the, uh, the dead body of Jesus on her lap, and it's effortless. It's no effort at all. Yeah, it's fascinating to see 
the, the Pieta. But, but the, the right answer is the crucifix, right? Um, it, it's just because of what it teaches. You're saying, well, what is this teaching? Well, this is teaching that God loves me, that he gave his only son for me. This is all the scriptures condensed into one image. Nothing more powerful than that. Nothing better than that. Okay, so um, a few things, and then we'll open up for questions. Yeah, again, uh, beauty is not going to convert anyone. However, when visitors see the greatness and beauty and wonder of the church and the building and the service and the words, they're going to be brought to consider and think about what's actually happening there. So think about it this way. Uh, Here's an analogy. A girl gets engaged, right? A guy proposes to a girl. What is, what are all her friends do? Exactly. I want to see the ring. That's the first thing. Uh, Why? Why do they do that? It's beautiful. And they want to see, what does he think of you? Right? Not, Not in a judgmental way or like, oh, it could have been bigger. Sorry? Yeah, how much money does he have? No. Uh, they want to say, uh, what does he think of you? Right? Uh, the, the thought he put into it. That's why, guys, you're not supposed to just walk into a store and just randomly pick a ring. Even if you already know which one you have in mind, you're supposed to look at all of them <laughs> and consider them and say, I like that one. Right? But the, the point is that you put the thought and the effort and the uh, intention behind it, and there's a motivation to say, I... I don't need, you don't need a wedding ring. You don't need one. But you're doing this to tell her that you love her and how much you consider her, how much you, you appreciate her, and that you, you would pledge your entire life to her until the final breath comes out of your lungs. That's what you're saying with that. And so people want to see this. And judging by the ring, then you say, well, this is what he thinks of you. Okay. Again, imperfect example. But in the same way, this is... What's happening in the church with the building? You look at the building and you say, well, what do these people think of God? They think pretty highly of him. That, they put that on the ground? They put that above our heads? They, they put that over there? How much money did they spend on that? Well, look at that cross. Look, how, how much did they... That's how highly we consider the gospel, right? And we say, I, I want, we want everything in it to, to be oriented towards this, this goal. To, towards this end. Um, so this is why we have the, the, the liturgical service. It's beautiful. It's objectively more beautiful. And I've gone over that before. Uh, the music is beautiful. The melodies are beautiful. Uh, the decorations we have in the church, they're to be beautiful. Uh, the banners, beautiful. Church, uh, the, 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 the materials we use in the church. By the way, uh, this is a change that we'll do in the new sanctuary. But historically, uh, churches have had flowers in their chancels and near the altar. Why? Yes, because it's beautiful. But the second reason, why? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a sacrifice there of, of giving something up. What else? It's a reminder of our own mortality. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and it's, a, it's a reminder that you see the, the um, flowers fade. The grass withers, the flowers fade. But the word of the Lord endures forever. We have to sit here and tend to this and keep changing the flowers week by week. But the word has been here 
from the beginning, from the foundation of the world. So there's a confession there. This is why, although it's pragmatic and useful uh, to have artificial flowers, this is why the church historically doesn't have them. Not because they weren't available, but even when they are available, that we would use real ones instead, that we're bringing God's creation and say, look, if God clothes the lilies of the field like this, you're much, you're much more valuable to him than the lilies, right? Uh, so there, there's, there's a confession there of using real things. And we don't, yes, it's practical to use artificial flowers. That's what we have now. And we, you know, we're doing the best we can. But when we're in, the, in our building, even if we only have one stem or one rose or one flower, that's what we're going to use. Um, we want it to be real. Okay, so there's this uh, distinction between what is real, what is created, uh, versus artificial things like this. Um, and finally, uh, we, we talk about the, the service itself, uh, that there's good presentation, there's good rhetoric, everything in, in the service. Um, so, this is the second thing. The first and foundational thing is faithfulness to the word. You have to have that. But beauty supports it. It doesn't make it more faithful, but it can distract from the faithfulness if you have a distracting place to meet. Um, and so you, the beauty serves that purpose. The third thing we're going to talk about is hospitality, and we'll talk about it in two weeks. Um, and that these three are how you secure and create the best approach for outreach here in your congregation as you start there. Okay.